they're never going to do it as good as you. In fact, it's unfair for you to even expect them to do it as, as good as you because you're the owner. You're the, you have the direct benefit from it. So it's finding somebody that can do it 60, 70 percent of what you can do it and then allowing them to make the uh, mistakes to be able to get to that next level is important and hard. Justin Ledford here. I'm the host of Real Construction Owners Podcast, where we interview real construction owners of multi-million dollar construction companies. So you can go from being a stressed out operator to being a real owner who achieves healthy profit margins and a thriving business without having to figure out how to do it all by yourself. Today, we have a special guest, Ricky Southers out of New Hampshire, owner of Southers Construction. He's a Marine and overall just a great dude. His company is crushing it and does over $20 million in retail construction sales each year. And if you listen all the way to the end, you'll get to learn his strategy on how he hires canvassers, pays them hourly, and creates massive amounts of leads for his company. Here we go. What's up, Ricky? How you doing today? Doing well, Justin. Awesome. Hey, tell us your story. Before you got into construction and owning Southern's Construction out of New Hampshire, what were you doing? So before I started the construction company, I was actually in the Marine Corps. I served five years, got out, got a part-time job, decided that I loved roofing uh, from the install side of things, and then worked with them for about a year before deciding to do it on my own. So you actually got out there and did the hard work, the grunt work, and those are steep, steep roofs in New Hampshire too, aren't they? They are a lot of slate, uh, a lot of cut up roofs. Uh, I was definitely got into it from the install side of things. What made you decide you want to be your own owner? I thought I could do it better. Uh, listening to people like even on my crew uh, complain, uh, never like complainers. And, and so finding the answer to a lot of their complaints. Uh, also, just like not knowing the business side, knowing the craftsman side, and then seeing some of the things that started to happen with the company I was in, I decided I, I wanted to do it and I could do it better. And fast forward, here you are, you're doing what, 15, 18, $20 million in business now? Yeah, with that, so we're 10 years in now. So that was October 2012 when I decided to make the leap. And the first six, seven years of the business, I, I just thought that the harder I worked, the more money I was going to make. So I was still in the install mindset. It wasn't until three or four years ago where I made the mindset shift to become more of a business owner and less of a, a, a installer or working in the business that we started to see that growth really happen. So most of our growth happened within the last three years. Because you started to delegate, because you became more of an owner, not an operator, right? Exactly. I started to put more people on my team in places that I originally wouldn't have put them because I, I had to do everything. I had to touch everything. I had to make all the decisions. That's, a, that's important for our listeners to understand. In order to go up, you have to give up some of your responsibilities, right? Exactly. And what top two or three tips would you give our audience, uh, an owner who's trying to grow their business to where you have got now passed beyond seven figures in that regard of delegation and finding the right people? How'd you do it? I'd say, I'd say one of the bigger ones, just never stop looking. A lot of people would say that they, they don't need any more people. Or they don't need to hire anymore. And I was kind of in that mindset because of what I believe capacity was at the time. So I'd say never stop looking because you never know when you're going to find that person. I'd also say be ready. So every time you think of what you're doing in your daily tasks, think of when you're acting as an employee and think of when you're acting as a CEO and start looking for those replacements. The 
earlier on you can have that documented on what they can do when they get in, the better off you'll be. And those positions will grow as you get them. That's incredible. So you're never, you never stop looking for that recruit and you're always analyzing, okay, this is not something I should be doing. I'm the owner of a seven, eight figure company. I need to delegate this, right? Exactly. And then here's the hard part. And this was the real hard part for me is that they're never going to do it as good as you. In fact, it's unfair for you to even expect them to do it as, as good as you because you're the owner. You're the, you have the direct benefit from it. So it's finding somebody that can do it 60, 70 percent of what you could do it and then allowing them to make the uh, mistakes to be able to get to that next level is important and hard. What are some expensive lessons that you've learned uh, through in this journey of business? I'd say probably the most expensive one because it's most valuable to me was, was um, um, three and a half years ago, I, I, an accident happened with my daughter and my family and I have four kids. So I think the most expensive lesson that I learned was that I was taking from my family by refusing to ask for help uh, and, and refusing to give up and, and not realizing what I was really doing to my family. So I think the most expensive lesson that I had was not realizing that, that um, I can do it better by surrounding myself with good people. And what is the market like in New Hampshire is how does your business generate it? Is it storm? Is it retail? Are you doing government work, commercial work? Talk to us about that. Yeah. So up in New Hampshire, we're mostly retail. A lot of people live out the lives of the roof up here. We do have insurance claims, but it's far and few between uh, for the most part. Uh, we don't have a lot of hail damage or, or, or wind damage. We do get them from time to time, of course, uh, but we still sell them through the retail sides of things. The way we acquire uh, marketing wise, uh, mostly through social media, uh, a lot of them are from repeat, repeat referrals or, or hitting the streets. We still in this area, we still communicate and do our six packs. Um, really, we like education. So we take an existing customer and then we just hit that area until there's no more. A lot of developments over here, uh, re especially in the last 30 years or so. So a lot of the roofs are, are failing at the same time, which is good for us. That's impressive. So you're you're doing what, 15, $20 million a year, and you're not doing any insurance, or you're doing mostly retail, that we need to stop right here, put put the brakes on, and dive a little deeper into this. You have, you have a new person come into the business, a salesperson, are these commission, are these uh, salary, and then in their first month or two, what are you doing to get them to generate business? So we, we do, we, all of our sales reps are commission only. Uh, and then we have what we call lead setters. Um, so they, we bring them in first. We recently, now that we've had a, a good amount of, like we've kind of reached a threshold a little bit, we force all of our reps to go through the lead setter side before we graduate them into becoming a sales rep. And the way that we do that is, is that we pay them 20 bucks an hour because we want to decrease. We don't want to have that commission scarcity. So we're bringing in young guys and in in, in young gals in the 20 to 30 uh, 20 bucks an hour, but then we pay them 50 bucks to lead 150 bucks per close. So that helps us because they have that, they have that okay pay. So they'll come in and then we could teach them what they don't know, but they have to hit their floor. So we can get rid of people relatively quickly. And we do, unfortunately, there's a high turnover rate, uh, but everybody's going to come to you saying they're a top performer. You got to weed them out quickly. Sales okay. reps, mission only. I'm impressed. So 20 bucks an hour, $50 a lead that when it's scheduled, 150 per close. And what is their KPI, Ricky? Like what must they produce daily or weekly to ensure you're not a, just throwing out money? Gotcha. So what we do, we, we want to make sure we hit that hourly base. So we're typically working the 40 hours a week. 
So they're required to set 12 leads. And with our close ratio being, it fluctuates anywhere between 33 or so and 36 on a weekly uh, spend. We're closing about three of those. So that 12 leads is a, is a, is a covering their base. Then we bonus them out, whatever is above and beyond. So 40 hours a week at 20 bucks an hour is 800 bucks. We want their, their 50 and 150s to be over the 800 on a weekly. If they don't have it two weeks in a row and, we, and they don't have good faith that they're moving towards it, uh, then we terminate. Interesting. So on top of the hourly, you're also giving them the $50 lead plus the uh, $150 per close. Yeah. So what it does is it, it stops them from looking at the clock and it stops them from going out and you not, not always being able to be by them. So that way they can get more than the guy next to them, which is super important to me. Oh my God, that's fire, dude. You just drop bombs for some people who are struggling in that regard. Now, what are you selling? What all kind of construction y'all doing out there? So we do all exteriors, roof and siding, windows, decks, and doors. Roofing and siding is probably our two biggest categories that we're in. Uh, the decks really exploded last year. Um, so we're in, we're in quite a bit of those as well, but so mostly all exteriors. Okay, all right. As far as changing the conversation a little bit, yeah. being that you're a successful owner, you you make good money. And what what how are, are you have one location? Do you have multiple locations? My question is, what are investments you're making right now? So honestly, with the amount of growth that we're doing, most of my investments are back into the company. Uh, so we did just owe, open up a new location. So we've now have three locations. I like hiring within. So finding those right people, we're looking to do another one uh, out west a little bit further. We have two people that we have in mind, and my investment's going to be going back into that that company, so that way they can build and grow. The more people I can get on my team and teach them what I know, then then the more that this continues to spread. What's your idea behind purchasing a location rather than just renting it for long term wealth for your company? So we always rent in. The only purchase we really do is the ad space and the marketing that goes involved with it. But we always rent into a market first before we would purchase and own. Uh, the reason is, is because there's a few things that could happen. Um, I could tell you this, I'm, 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 I'm definitely a plan A type guy. So once we make that move, um, the last three anyways have, have been well. And I don't intend to go into a market to fail. Uh, most of the people we put in place, we're not going in that market to fail. So I haven't had to pull out yet, but there are adjustments that are going to need to be made along the way as we start learning what the new markets are, we're keeping them relatively close. Okay, regarding that, do you have your main office being in charge of production, in charge of collections, or does each office stand alone? Uh, good question. So the our main location does everything. The satellite locations do production and sales. So they don't do marketing, they don't do accounting, they don't do they don't cut checks and things like that. But the but the production staff, the um, project managers that come on board, uh, they're all in each location. They're not run out of ours. Sometimes we would we could borrow crews, but for the most part, we don't want that. We want to build each location almost in its in its own. But we don't want them to. We want the main location to be a track of or be in charge of tracking and making sure that everybody's getting the, the health report is solid. Do you get a weekly report delivered to you so you can quickly take a look at it and gauge the pulse of your company? Correct. Yeah. Flash reporting or, or health reporting is what we call it. Can you walk us through what that looks like? Yeah. So each, each division has their own numbers that they're responsible. So for example, in the Dover location, we have, uh, we've been around longer. It's our, it's our main locations in Dover. So their numbers to hit are a little bit higher. 
So we have different categories and we believe in, in building them up in there each vertical. So roof and siding, uh, siding, and then windows and doors are together. Uh, and then decks, those are the verticals we have. And in Dover, we actually have a design build. So each one of them is responsible for a certain amount of volume. And it's, they're not all the same because roofing, we turn over higher volume. Siding, we turn over a little bit less. We can't push out as many jobs. So they each have a number that they need to hit. The other thing that we track are complaints uh, because complaints are, are minimal, acceptable, zero. Uh, but we need to dig into each and every one that comes through. Now, that can be a complaint from there was a nail in the yard uh, to a this is not what I was expecting complaint. Okay. Uh, so we track that in, in there. Then on the sales side, we track um, on the actual sales, we track DPI, which is dollar per issue lead, super important for us. Uh, we track close ratio, and then we track the total volume. DPI, dollar per issue lead. Dive yeah. a little further into that, please. Yeah, so basically, if I give you 10 leads and you sell one of them for $10,000, that means you have a $1,000 DPI. And what we want to do is we want to maximize the amount of dollars that we get per lead that we bring in. So if they were to sell more by going to the house or have more closes within um, um, the sale, um, then their DPI goes up and our minimal acceptable is 2,500. Impressive. Okay. So switching gears, what is a process, your best process in your business that you're most proud of? Good question. Best process. I think that um, I, I think I would say sales. I would say that I'm naturally not a good salesman. I can sell myself like you wouldn't believe. But as far as the actual sales and, and, and learner rebuttals and doing things like that, I was never good at that. I sold everything on, on education and our, our sales process and the way we have it designed now within retail. Um, I love it. And it's, it's, it is developed around me and myself and how I believe and how I hate giving discounts and, and dropping price and things like that. And it's geared around selling education. So I, I would lean more towards that the sales process is my favorite process that we have uh, in place now. I would have to agree with you because when I met you, uh, you told me you're doing, I don't remember the number, 18, 20 million and you're doing it in retail. And that just baffles me because I do all government construction and I do insurance restoration. And with that being said, in every business, you have to have three things. You have to have one, the entrepreneur, you have to have the artist or AKA the salesperson. And three, you have to have the operator, somebody who is overseeing the processes, making sure checks and balancers are in, or, in, or in order. So I would like to go a little bit further into your artist, your, your sales process. How are you training somebody to be able to sell doors, windows, roofs, siding. Like how does somebody fresh off the street come in and within a month or two able to sell this stuff after they've you know graduated past the, the door knocking section? Right. Good question. So we use a badge system. And what does that mean? We that we don't we only have a two-week training course. We can't teach them how to sell all of our products all at once. So what we do is we do, we find out what our capacity is for each category. It's almost always roofing because roofing turns over so fast. Uh, but in some cases, when we start running low on side, and then we may take one of our, our training classes and pitch them on side and first, right? But most of the time we just train them on roofing. And then every morning, every Tuesday and Thursday morning, we do a training class on knowledge and they have to get badged into the new new role that they want to be in. So, for example, they come in at roofing. They're a good roofing salesman. Anytime there's a siding or roof or door or deck appointment, they don't get to run those appointments. They have to turn them in to be ran by another rep that has the badge. Then they learn while they're a rep how to get to the other things. Now, it behooves them to know multiple trades. So that a top performer is going to be coming to my classes, learning, training, trying to get to that next batch so that they can take those appointments. 
Impressive. So as a leader of the company, you're, and an owner, you're still showing up every Tuesday and Thursday and giving back and contributing to your team and teaching them the stuff that you've acquired, the knowledge that you've benefited from. That's, that's awesome. Man. How are you scaling your business? Uh, finding people. People is, the, in my opinion, the fastest way to be able to scale the business. Why? Because the processes are important for sure. You can make C people, A people by having really good processes. Uh, but when you find the right people to build those processes around, I've found it to be a lot easier uh, to expand and scale. So build those people up, make sure they have the right characteristics and traits that we want in a person before we start teaching them and investing that time in them. Because I can teach you about the sales. I can teach you about the installs. I can teach you about the trade. I can't teach you how to be a good person or how to make good life choices or, or how to you know, want to be able to personal grow yourself. Those are, I could potentially, but the time invested would likely not be worth the return. I, I just have to go a little further in this because this is the first time I've heard about this type of approach. Um, how long do your $20 an hour people get to stay there? before they get bumped into commission so that, that depends so sometimes we have rock stars and, and they're and they're in there for 30 to 60 days like people that we probably when we eyed we weren't going to put them in there but if they don't know how to earn their own book of business then it's not somebody that we want to go directly into sales uh, and it also we don't want we try not to hire salesmen as much we will for sure uh, but we rarely try to fast track them so i'd say 30 to 60 days is like a, an all-star that has knowledge that we forced to go through the system. The other guys are gonna be in there anywhere from three to six months. And some of them stay setting leads because they have the personality for it. Uh, they do really well with it. They're making good money and there's no sense in, in moving them up right now. That's awesome, man. That is, where'd you learn this, this, this idea right here? Tr trial and error, uh, trial and error, needing leads. Uh, what, we had leads slow down at the end of last year. Uh, we were, we were, you know, swamped and, and smashed with them. So middle of the end of last year, we changed to bring them in as lead setters. We originally started them out as 50 and 150, because if you're going to be a sales rep, you might as well learn commission only now. Uh, but what we found is a lot of people were turned off by not having a steady pay. But some of those guys that we were turned off, we wanted them and we thought that they could be rock stars. So we figured we'd give them an hourly, but then almost like, it's almost a draw towards commission, let's be real. But but they get the hourly and then we pay them a bonus above and beyond. So they're getting the same thing, but also gives us a KPI to track them against to make sure that they're earning for their spot. I love that. Now I do see you as an owner. However, what I'm hearing at is you still are in operations a little bit. I, I don't actually have a role within the business. Um, I, I coach and build them up uh, within each role. So like, that's why my tasks, my tasks change because I'll go to whatever area of opportunity that I can help to get better. Um, but the morning trainings and then running out with the knocking knockers, I love that. So I am owner uh, and I'm, but I'm not owner operator. So the business still runs without me and I just fill in to help. I love morale. I love high energy. And I typically fill in for those items. Who holds you accountable? Who holds me accountable? Good question. And, and I love that question because when I first started uh, for the first seven years, actually, like it, I had a team, but my team, once we grew to 18, it was, it was a lot of yes people. It was a lot of people that looked at me as the owner. And since I was the owner, of course, I'm making the right decision, right? Well, that's not even close to true. I made a lot of mistakes along the way. So right now I have, um, the, he's our, our recruiter. His name's Raf. 
uh, Lily, who is our accountant. She holds me accountable. Um, and then I have the our sales guy, who is our actually our VP. He holds me accountable at a high level. And then also our, our Carter, he's our production guy. Those are the four gyms that I, I met along the way in the last three years that really changed my career. And it's because they're not yes people. They hold me accountable to what I say I'm going to do. And, 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 and even if I say I'm going to do something to stop it from happening, sometimes I don't have the best ideas, right? So those are the four people I'd say that hold me accountable in each role. What's next for you? What's next for me? I really love the idea of helping people. I really love the idea of what the industry is um, and, and that there's a lot of people that should be welcomed or introduced into this, into this um, industry. And I think that in some cases, if they're introduced in the wrong way, they're going to be turned off on it. And I'd like to introduce them into it to the way that I believe the industry is now within the last three years and how lucrative it can be. So I think that what's next for me is probably going to be, uh, I mean, obviously real estate investing, things like that. I love doing that side of things, but really probably going to be finding new locations and then just being a coach to other, other entrepreneurs, but also, also my existing entrepreneurs. Beautiful. So now we're going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, we've all had these difficult customers, the customers we know we shouldn't have took on, or we've had the situation where we did the job and it turned out to be a nightmare. Walk oh, yeah. us through, walk us through what maybe your riskiest job or your most difficult job and the lesson that you learned from that project? I'd say, I'd say, so once you start growing, you have to depend on other people, right? And once you start having the other issues, even within yourself, like you think you know how to do communication and schedule, and then once you get a bunch of jobs and you mess it up, right? I'd say that, that one of my most expensive ones is that the, the communication side of things, once we started taking on builds, it's a lot different than roofs. It's a lot different than siding. And there's a lot of trades that are involved. You can turn a three-week job into a three-month job relatively easy. And also setting the right expectations was probably my biggest mistake that I had within builds. What we did to combat that was, one, we brought in more people. We brought in an estimator. Sales reps weren't, at the time, that even they had the, the knowledge, weren't able to sell and resell, which was our model right then, right? We give a range, and then we go back out and resell, kind of like the Tom... Uh, Tom Reber method with contractor fights. So we tried that, but we did it so fast that we sold so much and then we had a lot of headache from it. So that's probably my biggest mistake in horror story. The fix to that was, was right expectations. Actually, we already know what our processes. We know how well they work. We know what they can do to, to our growth. And we didn't quite have a solid uh, a sales process involved with it and a production process on the back end. And so that if you want to avoid that, then make sure you think about those things ahead of time because it costs a lot of money. Amen. That's one of the things we talk about. You always, and, and as an owner, you have uh, service, somebody who's in charge of production, you have operations, somebody who's in charge of that, and then you have somebody in charge of growth. And if, if you have the right people in those places, you're bound to thrive. Now, regarding a, one of your favorite jobs you've ever done, like you, when I, when I say, what's your favorite job you've ever done? What's, what's that job and why? Okay. I love that question too. So I would say that my favorite job was a gentleman I met about three years ago, and and we did we ended up talking. He ended up being an army vet. His wife was an army medic, and his whole family was just army. He had literally just bought his first house. He was like forty seven years old, uh, and the home inspection report didn't go the way it planned. I couldn't get him financed, and so he couldn't do the job with us. So I made some phone calls. Owens Corner partnered up. Uh, our lo local lumberyard partnered up, and then my team partnered up. 
we ended up doing this whole entire uh, roofing system at no cost to him. Brand new homeowner. The guy was through the roof. And since then, we started to donate a bundle. And we've done about four more roofs and two decks that we've done for people at zero cost to them just by making phone calls and donating our weekends. Wow. That's awesome, dude. That's a servant heart right there. Anybody who is looking at joining this, this industry and they're in the New Hampshire or surrounding areas, what would you tell them as to why they should come work with your company, Ricky? I'd say that one of the biggest reasons is, is that you're the, it's only thing I can offer you is opportunity. So if you believe that you're a top performer and you think that you can put the work in, then you want the power to be in your hands, not in mine. Then I think that's probably the best reason why I would say that you should join Southern's Construction. Other than culture, we love having fun. Uh, we love making money, of course. We love helping people. And if you fit those things, then joining us to put the power in your hand to, earn, to change your income uh, is, 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 you know, what we're all about here. How can somebody reach out to you if they're interested? The best way to reach out to us and learn a little bit more about us is to go to joinsouthers.com. Um, just joinsouthers.com. Check it out. There's a couple of videos in there. Uh, there's also a website that, that leads you to that 530 Zoom call. Anybody who wants to be on our team is forced to travel through the Zoom call. Um, it's very important to me that I talk to people and, and preferably multiple people at once. Uh, it helps save time, but also shows commitment. Like you have to be willing to change yourself. You have to be willing to get into uncomfortable positions. Um, and if you are, that's an uncomfortable position to be in. And there's somebody that would, we would then further, you know, bring you in to meet the team. Man, dropping bonds left and right. I do the same exact thing. They have to raise their hand and then they have to show up to that Zoom simply because they keep raising their hand and they keep following and stepping in line. You don't want somebody who is like, oh, I want the job but then won't do the simple things that you ask them to do. Little red flags in the beginning to tell you that's somebody that you might not want on your team, or maybe you should dig deeper. Ricky, this has been fun. Thanks so much for your time today, brother. And before we go, if you're looking for somebody who's got a good heart, somebody in the New Hampshire area, Ricky's your guy. Reach out to him. Peace. Appreciate it. Take care.